0: Hello everyone, and welcome to our first ever Hort Talk Live. I'm here at the National Plant Show 2023 in the seminar area. <clears throat> I'm Alex Jenkins, your host, and you're listening to episode 14 of an HTA podcast, Hort Talk and Education in Apprenticeships. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by four very special guests, and I'm going to ask them
1: to introduce themselves. Uh, Hello, uh, my name is Sarah Ashmore and I'm the Business Development Manager at Warwickshire College Group. Uh, We've got six different colleges and a university centre within our group, but most of you here will probably know us as Pershaw College. Uh, So um, we've got the six colleges, we run hundreds of courses and we run 55 different apprenticeships and it's the apprenticeships today that we're here to talk about. Um, Our apprenticeships are very broad and wide, uh, but again, in keeping with today, um, we've got a number of horticultural uh, and uh, landscape apprenticeships, um, but we also run a number of engineering-based apprenticeships uh, for the providers who are looking um, on a manufacturing side too. Um, I'm on the business development side, so I'm going to answer questions to do with setup and levies um, and funding. Over to the hands-on WCG person in health culture.
2: Uh, Thanks, Sarah. Uh, My name is Josh Eganwire. I am Head of Horticulture Curriculum and Commercial at Pershaw College, part of WCG. And my role is very varied and it encompasses looking after our wholesale nursery and garden centre on site, but also looking after curriculum development and bringing together the horticulture department to make sure that we can educate our students, whether on an apprenticeship or a full-time course, uh, in the best possible way, and also work with industry very closely to make sure that what we're teaching our students is developing the next generation um, for our industry. Hi, my name's
3: Adam. I'm from the Commonwealth War Graves Commission. My role is the senior training consultant, but basically I'm a gardener come trainer. So my role is looking at the strategic training of our staff. We're in 150 countries. Uh, with staff around the world maintaining the war graves of World War I, World War II soldiers uh, and casualties. Uh, the other hat that I've got on today is I am the chair of the Horticulture Trailblazer. Do we know what the Trailblazer does? Anyone? Some Lots people?
0: of heads shaking. Yeah.
3: So basically every apprenticeship has to have a Trailblazer organisation that monitors and sets up the actual standard. So I chair the Horticulture One. It's a voluntary group of people. Within the group we have colleges, we have companies, we have people that have just got really strong interest and we actually shape what they look like. And we organize with uh, IFATE, the education department, to review and update the apprenticeship. So it is voluntary and we are funded by companies, organisations that help feed that. So it really is your opportunity and if anyone wants to join the Trailblazer, give us a shout and we can uh, bring you in.
4: Hi everyone, I'm Victoria Fiander, I'm the assessor in horticulture from Lackham College and I joined education in 2019 um, and hopefully I play a part on the trailblazer group, on the subcommittee, so I can put my input and what skills and knowledge and behaviours should be part of that standard. But also, if you want change, you have to be part of it. Um, As horticulturalists, we've been fighting climate change for a long time, looking at sustainability, and it's now about trying to bring that into education and work with industry to see how we formulate that curriculum.
0: Thank you, and thank you all very much for agreeing to be our expert guests on our first ever Hort Talk Live. So this isn't actually our first um, podcast episode on apprenticeships, but we're very lucky to have you all here to give us a completely different insight on apprenticeships from an educational provider perspective. So I'm going to start by taking advantage of that perspective and ask what you think are the key benefits of apprenticeships for the horticultural industry. So I think one of the biggest
4: thing is now the government has changed the legislation. So the um, post-16 Technical Skills Act, which was uh, legislated last June, gives industry a voice... Hence the Trailblazer Group. You have a voice with the Trailblazer Group to say what you would like taught as part of your industry sector. And that's massive. You've never been given a voice before. And I think that's really exciting. So you are developing your own staff to the own skills that you are developing as part of that Trailblazer Group. So that's a massive benefit to the apprenticeship.
2: And I think I could, I, adding on to top of that, I. I have obviously two hats on. I look after the commercial nursery and the education side as well. From an employer's point of view, seeing the caliber of students that come in on, the caliber of students that come in on some of the apprenticeships is incredible. And it's so enjoyable having them come to work with us on the nursery, even it's just their block releases the level that of interest that they have and the skill that they learn by being out in the workplace, especially, for example, the, the level three crop technician where they're working with some really good um, employers, you know, large nurseries. It's, um, it's a delight to have them on the nursery because they get such a fantastic level of, of, of experience rather than being in a full-time course, for example. I think for me as well,
3: It builds into that learning culture you might want in your organization. I think where you've got people coming in, fresh people coming in and interacting with different people at colleges, different providers, it can feed into the wider team. And I think we also need to think about apprenticeships not just as that entry level course, but actually the opportunity to progress. And again, that builds in your
0: organisational company? It's about the retention, isn't it? Recruitment and retention.
1: So that's exactly what I was going to bring in. Um, I think uh, since before COVID and especially after COVID so many companies lost so so many members of their staff and um, everyone has been struggling to recruit and then to retain their workforce. So this is the, uh, the the additional route to finding members of staff. This is take young people um, who have a genuine interest in the industry um, and go the apprenticeship route in because if they're signing up to an apprenticeship, then they want to already be in the industry. But lots of people just think, oh, I'll I'll immediately... Go straight to advertising for full-time, part-time roles. Think about all of the opportunities that are available um, in apprenticeships. And young people um, don't always like a lot of change very quickly. And if you're offering a, um, a level two onto a level three, level four, five, six, you can obviously hold on to that member of staff for you know, up to six years um, in their training. So it, it's a great way to bring new people in.
0: A really key aspect of the apprenticeship is the relationship between the educational provider and the employer. So what can we do as an industry to harness these connections?
3: I think one of the things that's really important is actually there is flexibility out there. We've got a couple of providers on the panel here, but there is different models out there. So that relationship between you as the company and the provider, I always say there's a triangle. You've got to have the right student the right apprentice, the right provider, and then you as an organization have to have the right setup within that space. But there is different models, so we all might be familiar with the standard day release, but there is block release, there is some providers that do 100% in the workplace, and you've got a tutor that comes out to your workplace, so you've got them there continuously. Different models work in different situations depending on what your organization is and how it's structured but there is flexibility there, and I think that sometimes gets missed.
2: Um, we've certainly found that the, um, the block release coming out a week at a time has been a real big benefit, and we've got a, a great number of employers now, and particularly for the, the Crop Technician course. There's, um, there's a, you know, a great range of employers that we work with that all came about from a, a group called the Midland Regional Growers Group. So this, this course has, has developed um, with us as a direct response to the employer, saying to the college, this is what we want from you, can you do it? And we've obviously been able to deliver that for them. And it means now that that course is geared up to exactly what our local employers want, as opposed to us you know, having a, a few meetings, running a course and not really having that continual involvement all the time. And that's really benefited the students, but it also is in benefiting those employers because they are using the apprenticeships as a way of recruiting um, and, and training their own staff, and which many of them do then stay in that business. Um, and, and continue on and go through any into the management roles?
4: I think one of the most important thing is that you're all business managers. You're inviting someone in to take part in your business, so you have to make sure that you like that relationship. So, you know, do your homework, do some background reading and research on the training provider. Give them a course if you like them. A lot of what we do in our industry is camaraderie, personalities, characters. You know, and that's a massive part of the apprenticeship now. A lot of it is about behaviours, behaviours of your apprenticeship in your business. That's exactly the same thing for the training provider. It's about our behaviours. Do we communicate, are we consistent, are we reliable, are we prepared to help you achieve? So it's really important to do that little bit of research on your training provider, even if it means going to a different training provider in a different area and saying, what would you recommend? What what should we be looking for? So user, so even though I'm in Wiltshire and maybe you're in Warwickshire, you might want to say to me, well, Vic, you know, can you give me some advice? What do I need to look for in a really good training provider? A very important part of the apprenticeship is the 10-week review. When your assessor will come out and they will assess your student, the employer will be there. And that's your input. We'll ask you a lot of advice. Um, We'll ask for your guidance and your engagement on that student's learning. And that's how we build that relationship. So it's really important be very wary of who you invite into your business. And it's not just training providers you bear that in mind for, it's also clients. So take the same principles when you're looking for a training provider.
3: Yeah, I was just gonna say, even like in my organization, this last two weeks, we're looking at putting new apprentices into a site. And we've had three different providers effectively come down and interview. You know, they've walked the site with us, They've discussed their model, how they're going to do it. Once they've all finished, we then sat down as a management team and had a conversation about which assessor, tutor and which organisation gave us the best feel for that site. And I think you, know, you can feel empowered because at the end of the day, you are the client, so you can feel empowered to have a few providers look around and see what works out best for you.
0: I think sometimes the employer isn't aware that they've got that kind of power though In in the apprenticeship situation and actually to know that you've got that flexibility and you that relationship you build with the educational provider is is really important
4: I think that's been a massive switch that we've seen in our education system for technical skills now is it is all with you it's industry led and you've got a massive voice but we're not seeing you use it we want to see you use your voice a lot more we're here to serve you we're here to fill that skills gaps make us work for our money because that's what we are for you, you're our clients. Just like you have clients, if you weren't doing your work for your client, you wouldn't get paid. So we wanna do the same for you, we're here to serve you.
0: You heard it here first from Vic, make us work for our money. (laughs) Speaking of money, shall we have a little bit of a conversation about the levy, which is always a bit of a sore point. So what are the key points we need to consider about the levy that we might not think about? And do we want to explain it a bit more? And I'm going to look directly at Sarah now, because she's the uh, expert on this one.
1: Okay, uh, right. So um, I'll try to do this as quickly as possible in the smallest amount of words. Um, if you are an organisation that have an annual wage bill, under three million pounds then you will qualify for an apprentice to have the training element of the apprenticeship done so that is what we've been talking about either the one day a week at college or the blocks um, of, of release for the education. So if you have a wage bill under three million a year, um, then you will qualify. If you take on an apprentice aged 16 to 18, uh, you would get 100% of that apprenticeship training funded by the government. You have to set up a simple uh, apprenticeship service account, Uh, you reserve the funding, and then the training element is completely covered. Um, If you have a wage bill greater than £3 million a year, then 95% of that uh, wage bill, sorry, 95% of that apprenticeship will still be covered by the government, but you will also be paying into what's called the levy pot. And that is, I think, 0.5% of your wage bill is sitting in a pot. Um, That pot expires every two years so if you're paying into that pot as a business you want to be using that pot of money to fund apprenticeships and as I say if you run out of money on that pot uh, the government will continue to pay 95% of the cost of the apprenticeship. Um, Also a point that came up earlier uh, was um, if you are a large organisation and you're not using your levy pot, you can actually give it away. So um, you could give it away to micro and small organisations to fund 100% um, of, of their apprenticeships. Um, I should mention if you are employing someone over the age of 19 uh, you are liable for 5% of that uh, 5% of the cost of that apprenticeship but your local council so certainly in Warwickshire uh, you can go to Warwickshire County Council and they will cover that additional 5% but generally uh, for an average um, apprenticeship even if you were covering that five percent, it would just be a few hundred pounds for the entire um, uh, for the apprenticeship. So, hope that gives you um, in a nutshell um, about the levy. So, if you are a big company, use it or lose it. Uh, Lots of money goes back into the government each year by organisations that are not employing these fantastic young apprentices. Um, And if you're a small organisation, yippee, you get the training element completely funded via via the levy reserve.
0: Thank you. So we have some significant apprenticeships available within horticulture at the moment. In fact, we've got some really new ones as well. So what are some of the key ones to mention and why?
4: So definitely, um, if we've got commercial growers here, and I should imagine a lot of you are, it's the level three crop production. So automatically, your minds might go to agriculture. Actually, there's ornamental horticulture within that, and that's a really good qualification. That's only just come out for release. So um, for us as a train provider, we will be launching that hopefully from January 2024. Um, But that's a very good qualification. I'll pass you over to Adam because you really want to promote the next one. You worked really hard for that one.
3: Well, I think it's important to just acknowledge the level two horticulture operative is, if you like, our biggest seller. It's it's the most popular uh, apprenticeship within the horticulture sector. Um, But we do have a new apprenticeship coming. It's been a long time and a lot of work's been going into it. It launches next September with Open Awards and that's the Level 5 Technical Manager qualification. So it's the first time we've had something past Level 3 in horticulture from a practical point of view. I suppose the next nearest might be something like the M Hort or or something like that, but it should be a really interesting one. The, The content is really, really interesting and also some of you might be interested The level five at the moment, open awards are recruiting for writers. So people to actually write the the learning material, the assessments. So if that intrigues anyone and they want to know more about it, again, come and find me afterwards and I'll tell you about it. But for us, that's a really, really important one because we know there is a big gap at that level. If we go through FE education, we come to level three and unless you want to do a degree, there is a, a ceiling there. So this level five, and what. What we've had in conversations is very much big organisations, local authorities and some places like that, it is part of their retention strategy where they can't potentially pay more money to staff, managers, but they can actually support them through an education to upskill to you know, effectively a a degree level qualification.
0: And because I do sit on the Trailblazers management group, I can confirm the amount of hard work that has gone into that level five, and Adam has done an incredible job on that as well.
3: It's a team effort, (laughs) it's a team effort.
0: (laughs) Now I just wanna, you know, I wanna say thank you. Ah, yes. There we are, praise. (laughs) Very well deserved. He's
4: very humble.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and obviously today we're talking about horticulture, but you need to think about your whole organisation. I know in ours, we've got apprentices, in finance, in communications. We're here to talk about horticulture, but actually you know, there's a lot that goes in other roles in a horticulture business that you might want to consider.
0: Retail, HR, exactly. So um, let's just have a quick chat about the biggest challenges that we actually face. So what are the challenges to getting starts on these apprenticeships? Is it a lack of interest? Is it a lack of available providers or awarding bodies, or is it a reluctant uptake from employers?
4: I think there's just a huge amount of ignorance over uh, education. I think one of the biggest problems I face is that people are putting job adverts out there and they're automatically expecting those skills to be there. So they put job advert out and they'll expect applicants to apply. Those skills aren't there and it all starts with education. And if we can just change that culture within business to realize it all starts with education, we we'll see a lot more support for training providers come in, for educators, and hopefully that will get turn in the circle where we need that engagement to come from.
3: Um, I think for me, one of the other considerations is the government level for what the minimum salary is for apprentice is pitiful, I would say. And that's a really big thing. If you're marketing your apprenticeship on the lowest band you're allowed, I wouldn't sign up for it. So we need to be sensible about how we're marketing these apprenticeships. And again, we can enrich an apprenticeship. As an organisation, we can choose to how we market it and how we enrich it. But I think we need to think about that salary level really carefully. Because like I say, if we're gonna go if they can earn more at McDonald's, they're gonna earn more at McDonald's. And we need to be honest with that. That's, you know, it might not be a career choice, but if you're 17, 18, you're not necessarily thinking about a career at that point. We need to think about how we market it really, really carefully and, and the level we put in. We don't market our apprenticeships, apprentices we take at that base level, because it's undermining for the apprentice within a group setting as well and it can you know, easily be seen as cheap labour, which that is not what an apprentice is.
2: I would agree with all of that completely and but I think a lot of it as well almost starts at home. It's a problem with our, our industry generally, that horticulture is not valued as a profession, it is seen as gardening. And similarly to apprenticeships, oh, go and do an apprenticeship because you're good with your hands, you want an outside job, it isn't seen as being a high enough level of qualification. Um, but actually, you know, if you start off on a level two apprenticeship and, and can make your way onto a level three apprenticeship, like I was saying earlier, you end up with a really good quality um, member, of, member of your team that you'll want to retain or want to continue putting through various bits of training. And there needs to be a bit of a mindset shift with parents and with schools. The schools thing is slowly starting to happen. But trying to change people's attitudes to not only our industry, but that an apprenticeship is actually a very valid and worthwhile entry route into the system that ticks a lot of boxes for many employers over them having any other type of qualification.
3: I was just going to say, I think as well as, as people in horticulture, we all need to talk about the positives, be realistic on the negatives. but where we can outreach, where we can offer work experience. There's so many times I've heard of people go on work experience in their GCSEs or whatever, and then they sign on for an apprenticeship. So it's a thinking about the whole journey, can't just put an advert out and expect people to come along anymore. I think it is such a competitive market out there uh, across all the levels, so I think that outreach it's kind of incumbent on all of us to, to do that outreach piece. Again, that's something that we're doing as an organisation, really trying to celebrate the achievements of our staff, but also the diversity of what we do and, and the social reward of what we do. And I think that's really important for all of us to, to buy into as the horticulture sector.
0: I think a really good advertisement for apprenticeships is quite often when you speak to apprentices that have started at that lower level, they want to go on to a high level apprenticeship. They want to continue doing apprenticeships because actually they've got so much from it. Um, and that's, that's a really key message actually, when they've enjoyed it that much, when they've got enough from it, that they want to continue learning that way. So, shall we go on to audience questions? Has anyone got any questions for our panel today? Hello.
4: I just wanted to ask your advice uh, in the positions you are um, to go back to employers and to discuss within management how we go about trying to shift that mindset you know you've made really good points and we sort of agree with what you're saying but from a business perspective how could we from the inside try to change the mindset in particular with with salaries and retention Um, I think you're right that there are a lot of uh, views on younger folk as just sort of yeah, we'll get them weeding and, you know, we'll get them doing this without maybe the the thought of where they want to be and and how we can entice them to, to stay and to grow within our companies. Do you have any advice at all? Yeah, I think that comes down to what would be your reviews with the apprentice, the training provider. The employer has to engage on the programme. So you'll be nurtured by the training provider through that apprenticeship. We'll be telling you what knowledge, skills and behaviors need to be covered at each 10 week stage of that review. Um, And we'll be using the criteria set out from the standard. So we're there guiding you all the way. One benefit that I've seen working on the apprenticeship is we're not just skilling the apprentice, we're skilling the employer because it may be at least 10, 15 years since that employer did their qualification and they're learning from it. And some of the employers with the handouts we give, the talks we give, the PowerPoints, they say, oh, actually I'm gonna use that as a toolbox meeting for my staff. Uh, We organize industry workshops at college. So we've just had Still come in, JSP Health and Safety, uh, Toro come in. And it's quite often that the employers will say, oh, do you mind if I send a couple of my other employers along? I say, yeah, no problem, come along. And that's upskilling their workforce because we're just one big family as part of the apprenticeship. So that's why, do your homework, do your research, choose the right training provider.
3: Yeah, I think the apprenticeship standard itself really maps out what is going to be covered. Like I say, the knowledge, skills and behaviour that's going to be covered. I think that's a really useful document to talk to managers about in terms of that sort of well-rounded person you're going to end at, at the end. It's easy to say, oh, you know, you just write a business case saying how good apprenticeships are, there's lots of evidence there, and stick that in front of managers. Like you say, they've got to buy into it. And again, it's not... The apprentice could be someone that's there 18 months. It's someone that could be there 18 years. It depends on your management team as to how... Holistic. They want to look at this, and is it something they want to do to enrich their workforce? And I think, you know, like I say, you can write a business case, but you know your team. Um, what I say is the evidence is there of how successful they can be. It's out there in, in the ether. You've got the um, apprenticeship stand that really cl- clearly maps out what's what's required. So there's those various elements, and and you can look at benchmarking for the salary point of view. Again, what we did when we were looking at the new ones we're looking at setting up, we're benchmarking to see what the other apprenticeship uh, opportunities are in the area, because we've got to, you know, like with anything, if you're not meeting the local market, you're not gonna get anyone. So again, looking um, on the various recruitment sites to understand what the actual
2: go-in rate is in, in your area. I can certainly vouch for the benefits that it brings to the team because having employed an apprentice at the, at the college, through the college on our wholesale nursery, it's not only upskilled a member of the team, but it's brought enormous impact to the others on the team because they've all been helping out a little bit with the education and they've, they've got a little WhatsApp group for pests and diseases and all of a sudden some members of staff that couldn't, couldn't even ever identify that there was any aphids on something, for example, they just walk blindly past it and now going, oh, I've spotted this and it's The the apprentice has done their pest and disease bit and it's encouraged all the others to do it and it's actually had a really good impact on on the rest of the team and it's raising the standard generally across the nursery because of these, uh, you know, the apprentices that we're employing and it's had a big impact. But. Appreciate you've got to try and sell that without having any physical hard evidence, but you can get them to come and chat to me. That's fine. That's no problem. I can happily help with that because it's um, I've I've already seen the benefit in our business. I mean, education's infectious, isn't it?
3: If 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 you've got people that are really enthused in what they're doing and they're enjoying it, it spreads to others in the team, and it is. And that's again, it's that cultural piece of trying to get that more energy within a team. Maybe can be really really positive side effect.
1: Um, I was just going to say to anyone who has not had an apprentice in the business, um, obviously we're just a a couple of the training providers um, who are out here, but it costs you absolutely nothing to contact a training provider and say, come and see me. As we said, you can see as many as you want. We come in, talk through what we would actually offer. Um, I always send links out with things like the salary uh, details so they can see what competitors in the local area are doing. But... It, it's not, It don't feel, oh gosh, if I invite them in, I absolutely have to commit. See, lots of training providers. It's one meeting or one phone call or one online meeting uh, to get some basics. Um, and then you'll build up a bit of your own internal knowledge about what the apprenticeship is and, and make a decision on on who the right provider is for you. So um, it's, 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 it's a really simple process to kick off. And I think it's, it's frequently a lack of knowledge that stops people moving forward so find out who your local providers are uh, drop them an email and um, uh, you know we'll all get back to you as quickly as possible so I
4: think the summary of all this is why should I have an apprentice it's no it's why aren't you having an apprentice
0: <laughs> no cheers for that one Any <laughs> <Okay. laughs> few more questions before we move on hi um, I, you know how you're saying about don't have to pay the baseline sort of salary yeah so if it's covered by the council if you're not paying the baseline do they still cover the full cost or do you have to contribute as a business more to that
1: uh yeah as as we said earlier um the apprenticeship that's the train the training side with your training provider is effectively completely paid for, so you don't need to worry about that at all. However, you do need to pay the apprentice for a minimum of 30 hours, a maximum of 40 hours for the duration of the apprenticeship, and you have to pay them holiday. The minimum rate uh, is £5.28 an hour, but as we did say, if, if if you know you can go down to McDonald's and get more pay, then you want to be paying um, at, at least the minimum. So I think the, um, uh, is it the 18 plus is £7.49 an hour. So I would consider going to at least the minimum £7.49 an hour, but uh, admittedly, it depending on the apprenticeship in the area, because um, ac- across lots of different areas, A lot of young people are very happy to be starting on that £5.28 an hour. Maybe not horticulture, maybe they do want to get more money, but I set up a lot of engineering apprenticeships where they see that £11,000 salary as par for the road because that company is actually training them and they're going to get a higher qualification out of it. But yeah, you do have to pay a minimum of £5.28, but we would recommend you pay more for at least 30 hours Uh, no more than 40 hours a week, and you have to pay holiday too. Uh, They are uh, on an apprenticeship contract with you. So during the apprenticeship, that is the contract. And then at the end of the contract, you choose whether you take them on as a permanent employee. But both parties can walk away after that. And also, no one wants to see an apprenticeship contract broken but ultimately for some of you who haven't had um, apprentices on board if it doesn't work out then there is the ability to terminate the contract but we're we're, we're talking happy stories here not that and most of them are happy stories
4: and don't just think young 10% of our apprenticeship at Lackham College um have got degrees another oh even 70% are people over 25. So we only have 10% of our students 16 to 18 years old. So when we talk about young people, it's not young people joining apprentices. And a lot of those people are already employed by companies that have never done a qualification. We've just had two 42-year-olds complete a level two apprenticeship, been working in the industry for 15 years with no qualification. And they felt that in their time of life with families, they want to go up in a pay grade. The only way to do that is get a formal qualification behind them. And they nailed it. Both of them came out with distinctions. So that shows and demonstrates how the apprenticeship does work in industry. Fantastic. Any more questions?
3: Uh, Thanks guys, you're doing a really good job of this, I'm really enjoying it. Um, So as someone that's done a higher level uh, apprenticeship uh, in marketing and comms, um, which is a great experience to be able to work and learn at the same time, I think everyone here is absolutely sold on the fact that apprenticeships are awesome, but like that level of pay, do we really think that people, like does that offer enough of a door and what's the flexibility and how
2: can we get that improved? Like, who's responsible for that, because it's, it's almost outrageous. Uh, to, put, to put it a little bit into, con- into context, if you look at the apprenticeships, again, I'm going back to that level three crop technician the tom- all the time, but you go back to that, and all of the employers have found that they are offering 1040, um, 10.42 or 10.45 an hour, that, you know, the minimum wage for over 21s, 20, um, 20 ones, 20, 20 ones, isn't it, yeah, the over 21s, because that is the going rate to try and encourage those apprentices in. Appre- apprentices in, which is... Raising the bar, you know, like Sarah was saying, and that's almost double what the actual minimum apprenticeship wage is. And that is what certainly the employers that I've, I've you know, I've come to know are doing to try and make sure that not only do they raise the bar, but are attractive as well. Um, because, yeah, it, it's a problem that such a low salary, it's, yeah, it can only get better in one respect, can't it? But it's, uh, it's not attractive at all.
3: No, and uh, I mean that's the base rate across all apprenticeships as well. So it's not like it's different for different sectors and, and that's the government decision, but it definitely isn't. If you go and look in the marketplace, there's very few provider, uh, companies that are marketing them at that level, uh, particularly in the horticulture sector, but in other sectors. Most are looking at, like I say, not only the wage, actually, again, what other enrichment they can put as a package together. Because again, if we're doing, you know, a bit like bringing apprentices to a show like today. You know, that enrichment really develops that person and if you can sell that package, so, you know, ultimately a lot of people will look at the money and I think it was an interesting point that was made about the older apprentices, career changers. My last year of sort of working in a college, Most of the RHS courses I was delivering was career changers. Very few were people for the hobby, it was a career change. And we're seeing that in apprenticeships as well. And the benefit they bring is transferable skills. So I know I've had apprentices that have got project management qualifications. I mean, horticulture skills with project management, happy days. You know, and so we need to think about that, but again, it comes down to if you're going to try and attract a career changer, the package you put together um, needs to be sensible if someone's going to look at it.
4: Yeah, and I think the other thing is we've got to individualize people's learning journeys. I mean, we celebrate biodiversity in horticulture. Yay! Pollinators, different plants, wildflowers. We're not very good at it with human beings. You know, we're really cruel to one another. Uh, We've got to celebrate people's individuality a lot more. And that's one thing that's very wary of training providers. And another good point, so when you're looking for your training provider, make sure they're not blanketing the duration of the apprenticeship to maximise their funding. So if you've got approved prior learning, and they'll do an individual skill scan with that student, part of my job role, we'll look at what prior knowledge they've got. And if we feel we can reduce that programme down one month, two months, three months, we'll do that. And again, it's a conversation. You're all in charge of your own destiny, of your own business. We're here to serve you. If you think, okay, I've got a career changer, they're not going to want to be on the programme for 24 months. And if that training provider says to you, are we going to take it to the maximum duration, you know you've picked the wrong training provider. Because someone... 30 40 years old should really be aiming to finish that qualification within 16 to 18 months so again it's another important point as an employer you should be asking and looking for we don't accept anyone on a level three apprenticeship without some sort of level two qualification because we also don't believe you can go in as a supervisor Apprentice without knowing how the job works or the skills that are needed. So, when we do do that level three, we reduce that program down to 24 months instead of three years because they have got that approved prior learning. So, that's another good point. So, if you are looking for an older apprentice, just bear in mind they are not really going to want to stick on that program for the maximum two years.
0: It all comes down to what we were talking about earlier and about that mindset. An apprenticeship is not a cheap form of labour. An apprenticeship is a form of training, but what you're gaining from this is an employee and you're training someone at the same time. And if you do a side-by-side comparison with the level of training you're getting on an apprenticeship, with the same amount of training you might give to an employee, a current employee, It's cost effective and I think that's what we all agree that an apprenticeship is a really cost effective way of training someone but it's not cheap labour, it's about that development opportunity that you get as a business and the employee essentially gets as well. So I'm going to do a quick summary. I think we can kind of summarise up this conversation in the three R's. It's about retention, it's about keeping the staff that we've already got, it's about the career changes, it's about giving our, our industry an opportunity to keep the people that are already there and engaged and allowing to deliver training for them. It's uh, about recruitment. We all know how difficult that is at the moment. So it's getting young people, new people into the industry, being able to give them those opportunities as well. And it's about relationships. So building the relationships with our staff, with our new staff, with between all the stakeholders in the apprenticeship, the employers, um, the educational providers, and the apprentices as well. So I just want to say thanks once again to Adam, Victoria, Sarah and Josh for joining me today. Thank you to our audience for their participation as well. I've been Alex Jenkins, your host, and you've been listening to Hawk Talk Live, Episode 14 in Education in Apprenticeships. Thank you for listening and stay safe.